chapter 5, and just a little reminder, last week we saw a couple of healings that took place, and one was a guy who was hanging out by the pool of Bethesda, 38 years he had been lame, he could not walk, his legs were swiveled, shriveled up, he, he was laying there, and Jesus came along, and he didn't even ask Jesus to be healed. And Jesus said, hey, what did he say? Do you want to get well? And the guy thought, well, he, he told Jesus, he said, I don't have anybody to take me down in the pool when it's stirred. Would you do that for me? And Jesus looked at him and he said, no, I'm not going to do that for you. He said, get up and walk. And then he said, pick up your pallet. And go your way. Well, it was a Sabbath. And there was a bunch of there was a bunch of religious people that were more excited, more excited about the fact that this guy was violating the Sabbath rules. He was carrying his pallet on the Sabbath day. You're, 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 it's, who, who told you to do that? And he says, the guy who healed me. See these legs? They're working again after 38 years. The guy who healed me said, pick up your pallet. But he didn't know who he was because Jesus had kind of slipped out the back door. He didn't hang around. And then Jesus caught him in the temple. And he knew who it was. And he told him what? Go and sin no more. Change your life. And... What was the response of these religious guys? What were you doing carrying your pallet on the Sabbath? They were mad at Jesus because he told them to do something that violated their rules. And, if, and, and folks, let me tell you, there's a problem. There's a problem if you're more worried about who's violating the rules than somebody who got healed. That's, that is a problem, isn't it? And so we come to John chapter 5, verse 16. And as we look at the first couple of verses, you'll see what the problem is. John chapter 5, and we begin in verse 16. For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, and he says, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now these were religious people, right? They should have been looking for the Messiah. They should have been looking for the Christ, but they couldn't see past their own rules. And first, it says up in 16 that, yeah, they were persecuting him because he was telling people to do stuff on the Sabbath. And you're, this is a recurring theme all through all of the Gospels. They don't like it because he's violating their rules. But when he said, my father's working, 
and I am working too. He, when he equated himself with God the Father, they lost their minds. They said, well, you can't, you're claiming to be God? And then they, try, they were trying to kill him. Because he claimed to be God. They were so nearsighted, they couldn't see that he was. And so Jesus, in the, these, this following passage, Jesus is going to give three claims that affirms his deity. That affirms, who he, and then he's going to give four testimonies that also confirm his deity. He says, you don't want to believe I'm God? Hold on to your pants, guys. Because I'm going to show you exactly why I am God. And is that important for us? Because if Jesus isn't God, what do we have? We have nothing. His, his death on the cross means absolutely nothing. Because there will be people that will tell you what? Oh, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a really good teacher. He's a prophet. You know, he, he's this good guy. He, he's somebody that was some ba- someplace back there in history. But if Jesus isn't God, we don't have anything. All that we just sung about is nothing because he was, if he is not God, that when he died on the cross means nothing more than the two men who died on either side of him. He was just another man. So Jesus is going to prove that he is God. Uh, let's look at this in, look at, we're going to first look at the three claims in John chapter 5, 19 to 24. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something that he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Amen? Wow. Jesus said, listen, I'm God and I'm going to prove it to you. He says, first of all, he says, I am God and I can do anything the Father does. Because these are all religious men, right? They had all studied the Old Testament. They had studied the Torah. And where does the Torah start? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? God was the creator. 
he was the one, and as he spoke and as he worked, and then John, it's, John started out and says, what? <laughs> In the beginning, right, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and nothing was made without him. John understood that, but the religious men didn't. And he says, God is the creator, the Father, and that's all they could see. They couldn't see Jesus. Well, Jesus did a couple things to show them that he was greater than creation, that he was the ruler over creation just like the Father. In John chapter 16, Jesus sends his disciples out in a boat to go to the other side and he stays up on the mountain to pray for a little while, right? And what happens? Jesus comes walking on the water. Jesus comes walking to them on the water and they marvel. He's walking on the water. In Mark 4, Jesus is in the boat with the guys and he falls asleep. Have you ever felt like Jesus is asleep in the boat when you're in the middle of a storm? Come on, Jesus, wake up! We're in a storm. And Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> and what does he do? Peace be still. And the water's flat. And they looked at him and said, who is this that controls even the sea? And then we find in Matthew 21, he's, he's walking along towards the end of his ministry and he he stops at a fig tree to get something to eat and he looks up and there's no figs on it. And he curses it. And they come back the next day and what had happened to the tree? Completely withered. He was showing them that he was, as his father was in creation and in control of creation, so was Jesus the next thing he shows them is, is that he's able to forgive sin. And the Father's able to forgive sin, right? One of the verses that we hear a lot in this, this day and time is 1 Chronicles 7.14, right? It, and my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will What? I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The Father has the ability to forgive sin. I mean, that's what the whole uh, Jewish sacrifices were all about, was the Father forgiving sin. Well, there's a very interesting uh, passage in Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is teaching in a house, and the house is so full that a couple guys that are bringing, there's four guys carrying a, a paralyzed guy on a pallet. They, they, they got a little stretcher that they built for him. They couldn't get in, so what did they do? They went up on the roof. And so they dug a hole in the roof. Now can you imagine all those people that were sitting in that house? Because what happens when they start digging through the roof? Man, all that stuff was, the mud was coming down. And they made a hole big, and that's a pretty big hole because they got to get that stretcher 
because they lowered him down in that stretcher before Jesus. Jesus looked up, and in Matthew chapter, or in Mark chapter 2, it says in verse 5, he says, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their heart, Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, being aware of their spirit, that they were reasoning the way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man had the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And immediately he got up and picked up his pallet and went out of the sight. And so all were amazed and glorifying God. You see, Jesus said, I have the power to forgive sins. Just like my Father does. What other kind of power? He has the power to feed the hungry. Did the Father feed the hungry? Oh, absolutely. When the Israelites were walking through the desert and they got tired, they ran out of food that they'd carried with them from Egypt, what did God do? I'm going to give you manna. For 40 years he gave them manna. Every day they would go out and and it would just be enough. And when they got kind of grumpy because they were, they were on a paleo diet and they needed some protein, he said, I'm going to give you quail. Right? The Father provided. And that you could go all the different miracles where God provided food when it was needed. The Father did that. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus in Matthew, or John chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. We're going to see that next week. And then another time he feeds 4,000. When people needed to eat, he said, you feed them to his disciples. He said, bring me what you got. Oh, we got five loaves and two fishes. Okay, start feeding. That's a potluck, folks. You don't even have to bring anything. And he says that that he heals. And we've seen that over and over again. Does the father heal? You remember a guy by the name of Hezekiah? Hezekiah got sick, and and the prophet came in and said, you're going to die. You're you're not going to get up out of your bed. And Hezekiah began praying to the Father. And in 1 Kings, excuse me, in 2 Kings uh, 25, it says, And thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you, and on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. You see, when God heals, he heals it the right way, right? And we saw, we will see all through the Gospels that Jesus heals over and over and over again. People come to him. Some people, he, he, they don't even ask. They touch the hem of the garment, and they're healed. Sometimes they come and they just say, 
You just speak the word and we'll be healed. And other times he touches them and they're healed. Oh, to see that. And Jesus said, because anything that my father can do, because he showed me how to do it, I can do it. It almost reminds me of the song that Kyle and Rachel did. Anything you can do, I can do better. Now, he says, anything the Father can do, I can do. And you've evidenced that you've seen it. All right, come on. Here we go. <laughs> Number two, he says, I can raise the dead. Just like my father. My father raised the dead. I can raise the dead. In 1 Kings 17, it tells us about the Shunammite woman. You remember her? Elijah was making, was, was making his rounds, and every once in a while he would come through the, the, the village of Shunam, and a lady says, hey, hubby, we need to build this guy a little place up on the roof. And she, and she did. And, and because of her faith and because how well she took care of Elijah, he says, what do you want? And she says, I want a baby. That's not much, is it? And God says, you got one. And years go by and the little boy gets sick. And he dies. And the woman does what? This is, this is kind of a really good correlation to the song we just sung. She, she sends her, she says, she sends her, her uh, servant to go out and, and fetch Elijah. And if anybody stops you and says, what's wrong? You just said, it is well. It is well. And she comes back and Elijah stretches out over his body. And it says in, in 1 Kings 17, 22, and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him, and we, he was revived. And then wh where do we find Jesus? When he's walking along one day and sees a funeral. <laughs> what does he do? Hold up. The widow lady didn't ask for any healing, didn't, didn't ask for her son back. He just stops the funeral. He lays his hand on the coffin. Ooh, Big no-no, religiously, if you touched a coffin, you were unclean for seven days. But Jesus just lays his hand up there and says, oh, this guy's not dead. I'm not unclean because he's alive. And he gives him back. And another time, in Matthew chapter 9, Jairus comes to him and says, my daughter's died. And Jesus brings her back to life. And then, of course, the one that we all know, Lazarus. Lazarus. Jesus, come and heal him. We know you have the power to heal. Oh, I think I'm going to wait. Oh, Jesus, if you'd just been here, it's been four days. Surely he stinketh. You're four days too late. And Jesus says, I'm right on time. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus said, I'm going to show you that I am God Almighty because I can raise the dead. The, and then probably the greatest of all, 
is in 1 Kings 15, 51. It's yet to come. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all die. But we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound in what? And the dead will be raised imperishable. There's coming a time when Jesus is going to speak the word and all the dead are going to come up. They're going to raise, and then what does it say about the rest of us that are hanging around? We will be changed. <laughs> In the twinkling of a boy, folks. I don't know about you, but, but I, I'm listening for the trumpet. I'm listening for the call. Come on up. But it says, one day Jesus is going to raise all of the dead. And then everybody will know, because what does it say? Every knee will what? Bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He said, he said I have the ability to raise the dead. Well, he makes one more claim in here, and he says, I will judge all men. The Father doesn't judge He's given me that right. I will judge all men. Now, if you're a religious man in, in, do you wanna, in, in uh, Judea at the time, do you want to be judged? Oh, I don't think so. Remember the, the guys that brought the, the adulterous woman and threw him down in front of them? Jesus said, you are, are without sin, cast the first stone. Yeah, I said, and, and they all started walking away. Because they didn't want to be judged themselves, that they had sin. And, and part of this is revealed in John at chapter 5, and we're going to read 25 to 30 to see the next part of this judgment. Not only does he judge here on this earth, but he talks to them because what, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. So, so the Pharisees did. But the Sadducees didn't. So he tells them in verses 25 to 30, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And just as a father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son also to have life in himself. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life right and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of God do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth and those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment and I will do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me. He says, I'm going I'm to judge everyone. Everyone. And I want you to see this really quickly. I'm not, this is not going to be a, a huge teaching on... on uh, on what the, the rewards and judgments are going to be, but I just want you to see real quickly there's two judgments that we need to be concerned about. The first is in Revelation chapter 20, 
verses 11 and 12. And then I saw a great white throne. Most people call this the great white throne judgment. And look who's there. And him who sat on it, whose, whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books. What? According to their deeds. Now this, folks, is for the unsaved. Because there's two books, right? The one book is the book of life. And why is that important? Because that's where the saved are written down. When you come to Jesus Christ and you repent of your sin, and you say, Jesus, I I thank you for dying on the cross and and saving me from my sin, and I want to make you Lord of my life, your name is written down. And it says he looks in the book, and if your name is written down, you're not going to be there. You're not going to be at this one. And then it says he opens up the rest of the books, and he does what? He judges them according to their deeds. Wow, that's pretty harsh. Putin is going to be judged in heaven for what he did. I should, you know, we just have to know that God holds us accountable. We are all accountable. And I as a pastor, and I'm not going to be at this one, I can tell you that, but I as a pastor know that there's going to be another time when God is going to look at us. And it is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10. Therefore, being being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. And I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be where? To be home with the Lord. Therefore also we have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we, who's the we? The church. It's us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds. Oh, wait a second. His deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You see, there is, there, there's kind of, this is called the Bema seat. This is where God's going to look down and he's going to say, okay, let's take a look. This is your life, Ben. And God's going to sit down with me, and and he's going to review my life, and he says, you know what? I gave you this opportunity here, and you decided to go off and do whatever you wanted to do. And you didn't fulfill what what I asked you to do. He says, you did this, and you patted yourself on the back so hard that you got tennis elbow. You're not getting any rewards for this. You see, there's going to be a time where God is going to say, hey... You're going to be accountable for what? Your deeds. This has nothing to do with your salvation. Once your name is written in the book of life, you are in heaven. Positionally, God says, you're saved, 
But there are some of us who are going to get to heaven by the skin of our teeth. And God says as he judges that, and and I want to clear something up. There are a lot of people who say, well, God's not going to judge us in heaven. We're not going to be held accountable because it said there's no tears in heaven. Oh, that is not what it says at all. There's two times when God talks about tears in heaven, and he says both times, he says he wipes them away. Okay? He wipes them away. One is in Revelation chapter 7, and he's talking about all of the martyrs in the, during the tribulation who come to Christ during the tribulation and then are martyred for their faith, and he says he wipes away their tears because of all that they went, went through. But there's another time, and that's in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And it says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready for the bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And then verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That's us, folks. We're already in heaven. When does Revelation 21 take place? At the end of time as we know it. After the, after the tribulation, after the thousand-year reign of Christ, the new heaven and the new earth comes down. And sometime during that period, we're all going to be, we're all going to face that time. Now, why are there tears in heaven? I think there's a couple reasons there will be tears in heaven. One is when we get to heaven, there are going to be some people that are not there that we thought should be. There are going to be some people because God said he's going to separate, he's going to separate, he uses two analogies, right? The sheep and the goats. He's going to separate the wheat and the tares. There are going to be some people that we thought, where are they at? Well, they, they, they never got the first part right. They never got their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. But there's going to be this other time when God sits down with us and says, okay, Ben, uh, you were, I made you a preacher. I gave you the opportunity to preach. Did you use it to your full extent? Did you, did, what, when were those times when I didn't act in God's best favor and I will be held accountable? But at the end of it, what's God going to do? He's going to wipe away every tear. He will, he will set me down and he'll say, okay, Ben, this has nothing to do with your salvation, but it ever, has everything to do with with how much you did for me, what not not what you did with everything I gave you. Did you use it wisely? 
And so it says that God will judge each and every one of us. Well, those are the three claims that Jesus makes, right? Number one, I can do anything the Father can do. Number two, I can raise the dead. And number three, I will judge all people. That's why I have the right to judge you. That's what he was telling them. Well, we come to John chapter 5, and we're going to see the four testimonies that he gives. John 5, beginning in verse 33. And he says, it says this, you, you have sent John, and he has testified to the truth. That's John the Baptist. But the testimony which I received is not from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice while in his light. Secondly, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father sent me. Number three, and the Father who sent me, he has testified of me, and you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me. And number four, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify of me. You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know that you, that you have not, you do not have the love of God in yourselves. You have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accurse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you've set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? He says there's four testimonies. The first testimony is the testimony of John the Baptist. Here we go. There we go. John the Baptist. What did John say of Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When Andrew was hanging out with John the Baptist and Jesus came by, he says, follow him. His whole life he was pointing to Jesus even to the, to the time of his death. He says, Jesus is the one because everybody was looking. The, the religious guys came out and said, are you the Christ? He said, nope. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. He said, you, you have one that you don't even see and he walks in your midst. Jesus is the Christ. John the Baptist was the testimony of Jesus. And then he says, you have the testimony of the miracles that I performed. 
my miracles testify as to who I am. Can you imagine all the, all the healings that Jesus did, all the miracles he did, and the religious leaders couldn't see it? John 21 says this, And there were also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. We have four books of the Gospels. And they say, doesn't even touch one little bit of what Jesus did while he was here. And yet they missed it all. He says, not only is it the testimony of John the Baptist, the testimony of the miracles I perform, he says, it's the testimony of my father himself. We're we're a little slow today. Here we go. The testimony of the Father. He says, the Father testifies of me. In Matthew chapter 3, when it says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said... This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Imagine what it was was like to be standing on the shoreline at that baptismal, and all of a sudden heaven opens up, and you hear the voice of God. Man, anytime anybody hears the voice of God, one of two things, you better, better be ready to go home, or, or you better be paying attention because God has something big to say, right? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Another time in, in Matthew chapter 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration, remember he was standing there, Jesus was there, Moses was there, Elijah was there, and the, and the disciples were looking at him go, oh man, we need to build a temple or something. You know, we got to do something to recognize this. And, and then it says, while they were, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, the Father testified. Well, there's the fourth one. He says, Scripture testifies. Now remember, every one of these religious men were people that were were studying the scripture over and over again. They studied the Old Testament and he talks about that. You believe what Moses wrote, but you don't believe in me. Should the scripture testifies to me. It testifies of me. First Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. For I delivered to you first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Scriptures tell us who Jesus is. He is God. 
He is the Messiah. They couldn't see it. The religious people couldn't see it. They, even when the scripture said they could look back, they could look back and see what the scripture said, but they couldn't understand that this man that stood before him that had just healed the lame man who had just told him, go and sin no more, who, who said, your sins are forgiven. They couldn't understand that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. They missed it all. We have a world today. They miss it, don't they? They miss the truth. Having eyes, they do not hear, do not see. Having ears, they do not hear. They're missing the truth that Jesus is God.